0: Well, how's it going? I'm Mark Duffy. Welcome to my podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the new gear that was released or launched in the last week because some amount of equipment has just come on the horizon and it's epic. So let's get into this. So, if you were asleep under an extremely small rock this week, you will have missed all these announcements from different content creators across like YouTube and just the different forums and stuff. From DJI releasing their brand new cinema camera to MacBook releasing the new Pro level of the M1 MacBook Pros, and then obviously now the new Sony A7 IV. So, I'm just want to just discuss about these because my jaw dropped a few times. I, it's not usually I get that impressed about things, and that's why I've come on here to talk about it because. Yeah, um, wow! <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, let's let's talk first of all the DJI Ronin 4D. I have it up here. I'm just having it on my on my computer just so I can see what I'm looking at, and. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of cinema cameras. I always think they just look like ugly bricks to me with just loads of little bits all hanging around the spot, just very DIY looking, yet it looks really impressive from a distance, you know, and they've got the handles and they've got the cages and or they've got a screen and microphone and then, they've you know, multi-track inputs and blah, 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 blah loads of stuff. And But when you look at the Ronin, it's taken all of that and it's put it all into just this one cohesive, intuitive, just just pure UX and ergonomic genius, you know, like from the follow focus dial on the handles, uh, just, you know, built in gimbal and steady arm. So not only does it have a built-in gimbal, but it also has a steady arm as well. So the one thing you will always notice when you see gimbal footage is, yes, it's steady, but you can always see that up and down motion where unless you have a steady arm, like one of those ones that are rigged to your chest, you ever see them ones that are rigged around the person's body and has a big arm, holds it? That gets rid of the up and down motion. So I can't remember if that's the X axis, is it? X or Y axis. Um, so that alleviates that. They have built this into the camera. So you no longer need to buy any kind of steady cam system around to get there. None of this, you know, in-body stabilization. This this is, the body has the stabilization built into it. So aside from then the gimbal arm and the gimbal, like the camera itself, it looks pretty modular. And I one of the clips I'd seen from, I think it was Corridor Crew kind of hinted at it. I watched a few videos on this. Corridor Crew was the best video I'd seen about it. And um, they were kind of hitting the fact that when you buy this when you buy this camera, you can get a 6k version or there will be an 8k version released. And it's actually uh, where the lens is attached itself on at the front of the gimbal is the camera. The rest of it, I'm not too sure what the rest of the body's doing, but that's the camera. So if you're going to go for the 6k or the 8k, that's the part of the unit that you change. So you don't have to buy the whole unit, you only have to. You only have to change that section. You can use, uh, you don't have to use the DJI lenses. You can use Sony lenses. I think there is a mount for Canon as well. Um, But even with that there, how that comes off, the, the body itself looks as though they may move that camera section, that, that camera attachment to be available for future drones. So that could be a new thing as well is that not only is this a cinema camera, but you can transfer it from drone to handheld, which leaves it up for even more options. And it just goes to show the market research, the UX, the business analysis that went into all of this. You know what I mean? You know, they really did their research and they talked to the people who need, who are going to be buying this. Uh, so this this is kind of what I would say is like the filmmakers, Camera made by filmmakers for filmmakers, and now, I don't know if it's up to the level of cinema cameras. It could be just the mid-range. Um, it, it depends. I, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not that kind of person. I'm a photographer. I am not a filmmaker. I am not a videographer. I can appreciate the technology that's in this, like the LiDAR. Um, but some of this technology that they've brought in is going to transfer into other cameras. You can kind of see it, and I'll talk about it later with the Sony A7 IV with the foot, with the um. New Focus Assist, it's kind of, it's their kind of lackluster uh, attempt at the LiDAR. LiDAR is clearly doing it properly. Um, so if you if you watch Corridor Crew, they, they explain it fully properly. It has like a radar system where it's, it's a top-down view. So it's a, like a bird's eye view downwards of your scene. So if you have, say, you have two people in the background, it'll actually show you in the grid, um, this pixelation of a shape of someone's hands arms face wherever your focus is and when you change the focus as you turn the focus dial it'll actually move it and show you what you're actually focusing on so um, it'll move through the people and so if you wanted to get the background it'll be um, in these white pixels and the rest will kind of fade out and it's really 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 intuitive and it even shows a green line as to where the focus where the focus plane is. And then you can have it, I think you said as well, you can have autofocus on it as well with the uh, focus pulling. So it can tell you where it should be and it'll also tell you where you're at. So a yellow line will show where the autofocus will tell you you should be at. The green line will tell you where you actually are, which is it is like an assisted cysted pull focus system. But again... Pretty heavy handed for so, you know, like for me, I can appreciate the technology into it, but you know, I'm never going to use that because I'm a photographer. I am not a videographer, but for videographers out there, especially the price point, I was shocked when I heard the price point was going to be seven grand, seven to seven and a half grand. If you think about it, there are still red cameras out there that are going for 50, 60 grand. So that's, you know, the market for cinema cameras, you know, anything from um, six grand all the way up to 60, 70 grand. And for all of the bells and whistles included in this, it even has a wireless um, monitor system that comes with it as well. And that, and the distance on that uh, corridor crew, like walked. Oh, it looked as if he walked about two hundred yards away from the building, not even from the camera. He had the camera in the building and then walked two hundred yards away and still could control the camera wirelessly and monitor it as well, which was just that's yeah, insane. That that that's that's incredible, absolutely incredible. So for filmmakers, I I think you you're, you're going to hear a lot of people talking about this a lot more. And the fact that they already have it available, is you don't just have to use their native lenses, you can use other lenses as well. I'm not too. Sure how that's going to be for? Um, uh, one has actually spoken about how you uh, balance the camera because when you use the DJI lenses, you don't need to balance the camera. They're all built that way as well. So that's another intuitive idea that they brought into this as well. Is the, the thing is fully, fully self-balanced. You don't have to do it, and once you're using the proprietary native lenses, if you go if you go away from that, then you obviously you will have the balance. And no one has actually spoken about that, but I guess it's going to be the same as you know working with any kind of gimbal. It is what it is. Possibly why it was never mentioned. So anyway, moving from that there, so that was the first thing I'd seen this week. Then the next thing I'd seen was on uh, Marquez Brownlee's um, video was the new MacBook Pro that's been announced with the M1 chip. So this is the new M1 Pro and the M1 Max chip. So they've two versions, and one is like really uh you know just just loads of features on it and then the, the max goes okay well this is even this is even more so I'm just reading here just you know just to, just to clarify the differences so the M1 Pro is given up to 10 core CPU up to 16 core GPU uh up to 32 gigabyte RAM and then it says here up to 200 gigabytes per second memory bandwidth I'm not that up on what computer specs is, I've no idea what that last one is, so uh, then on the M1 Max, I'm just going to be totally honest here, on the M1 Max it's given 10 core CPU up to 32 core GPU and then up to 64 gigabyte RAM and then up to 400 gigabytes per second memory bandwidth again, don't know what the bandwidth thing is, but my issue with the M1 originally was when I when I, it was really I was really impressed with the Mac Mini, but then when I started watching more and more comparative videos, I was just like, oh wait, there's a bit of a lackluster in this, in the fact that it is not going to cover every aspect for a pro when you're using big files, and I'm not talking about like you know Sony A7 III, megapixel camera, you know, photos, raw photos. I'm on a bit like if you're going on like A7R III, A7R4, you know, 63 gigabyte, 63 megabytes, um camera and like everyone always says oh it's a 60 megabyte camera it's a hundred megabyte raw file before you start editing it just realize that it's a hundred megabytes per photo on an A7R4 so you need a powerful computer to run those files because it's gonna be heavy. And Lightroom used to be a really light program. Photoshop used to be even lighter again. As a graphic designer from like you know over ten years, you know over ten years working as a graphic designer, we used to always have programs running at the same time. Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, InDesign, Lightroom wasn't even it didn't even exist when I was working as a graphic designer initially, and we had no problems running any of these programs at the same time. And uh, back then we had a top spec iMac, twenty seven inch, sixteen gigs RAM. That was top spec. So that was top spec back then. I would not be advising you, if you are really going to be using the full Adobe Suite, I would not be advising you to be going with 16 gig RAM. If you want to future-proof yourself, you really should be looking for plus 16 gig RAM, 32, 64. That's why these M1 Pros have my attention, because they're offering that plus 32, plus 64 Um Sorry, not plus, but up to 32, up to 64. And that's going to cover you for years to come. Now, if you're only using like Photoshop and Lightroom, you would get you would get away with the standard MacBook, I do feel, and the Mac mini. But if you're going to be, you know, running and gunning, you know, doing photo shoots, doing video shoots, and you've you've loads of different um n- you know needs. You're going to, I would advise, spend the extra money on the MacBook Pro. I'll come back to how much the are because I'm actually not sure what the price difference is. I reckon there's going to be a grand in the difference between the uh, MacBook M1 and the, and the MacBook Pro M1. But we'll come back to that in a second. As well as that with these laptops, they're bragging of the longest uh, battery life as well. And MacBook's always had a decent um, battery life, but now they're, now they're offering huge amounts. Is it up to 21 hours with the MacBook Pro 16-inch uh, for video playback? They always based on video playback. Yeah, here you go. Um, they always based on video playback because it's it, because it always refreshes the whole time, so it's gonna it's gonna eat up your battery a lot more. So the 14 inch is given up to 17 hours, and the 16 is given up to 21 hours. Um, yeah, I, I I'm looking at this. I'm, I'm talking about these because I'm looking at these. Uh, I think in the future for my photography, I'm gonna have to start considering tethering, and I so having having a dedicated desktop in the studio in the house is not gonna benefit me. Uh, what is gonna benefit me more is having a, a powerful uh, laptop and all through the last year and a half, I've been saying to myself, the best laptops out there are the Macs. They always have been, but the problem is they have an awful lot of crap in them. That's the reason why I left Mac in the first place. So I used Apple Mac for 13 years and in 2016 I left them because they were releasing shit. Like, it's just, it was absolute pure bollocks what they were releasing. Old RAM, old graphics cards, and this stupid, slidey, touchy screen that got rid of all the uh, function buttons. I am mean, just like, pointless. And what it said to me was they were making a move towards consumers. They were going for the prosumer. This laptop is a step back in some ways, but it's a nod to say that they are now going back and taking it seriously again for the, for the pro users. They have brought back the reversible magnetic charge. So people were giving out that they didn't have that. Sarah's laptop has it. Hers is a good, couple, a good couple of years old. Horace had it, but obviously after that, they changed it where the the charging point wasn't reversible and wasn't magnetic. Now it is. They've brought back the ports. So when they were saying you don't need ports, now they're, you know, they're they're eating a little bit of humble pie, I think, here, because they brought back ports. They brought back uh, full-size HDMI because they always had that stupid um Apple one and it was just hub after hub and adapter after adapter and SD card reader. Now that's the greatest thing. That was always the greatest thing about a Mac laptop and uh, any, any laptop really is having an SD card reader. I have these little plug-in USB 3 ones, and they're a bit annoying because I have to. if I don't, if I if I put it down somewhere and I can't find it, <laughs> like you know what I mean? I can't get my photos onto my computer because I am not going to plug in a camera to a computer. That is the slowest way of transferring uh, files. Like, what is the point in buying. Uh, what is what are my what are my um, SD cards? 250 megabyte speed. So why what is the point in buying one of them if you're just going to plug your computer in to transfer the files from the camera that way? Because that's dog slow. So you really want to have a dedicated uh, SD card reader and having one on your laptop. Ah, oh, that's the business. So that's what I've noticed with with Mac. They have they've listened to what people have been talking about in, in the same way that DJI were listening to what people were wanting and they delivered it. Now Mac. Seem to be, uh, Apple seemed to be doing it again, you know, delivering. Their screens are always been the best screens in the market as it is. They're nearly practically um, color graded. So, you know, if you're worried about color grading screens, you should color grade your Macs but just know that, you know, when you do color grade it, you're kind of going to go, uh, sorry, not color grade it, okay, color calibrate it. When you color calibrate it, you're kind of going to go, eh, there's not that much of a difference. Com- you know, if you compare that against my LG screen here, there is a big difference when it's not calibrated and when it is calibrated. But it is accurate. You know, I bought nearly 100% um, Adobe RGB on my screen anyway, for the reason that when I do calibrate it, it is going to be accurate. So uh, so that's that's what I noticed on the Mac. I'm really loving the specs on it, and I think that is going to be the bigger choice to go for. Uh, let's have a look at uh, so I'm just, I'm on I'm on Apple site here at the minute, so what are they saying for price-wise? I reckon this is going to be, um, I don't even know if it's on the store available yet, so we am just going to click into the store and see. Um, Okay, so I'm on the page now. So this is the MacBook Pro. So this is the option. You have the original 13-inch M1 that came out. And now you have the new 14-inch and 16-inch options. So for the 13-inch, if you were going for... Now, don't go for the 256, 256 gig SSD storage because you're going to run out of space as soon as you put programs onto it. So, I would I would heavily recommend you that you go for the five twelve. And I'm not going to talk about any as of the any options you know of of upgrading RAM and stuff like This one has eight gig RAM, standard five gig uh, SSD, and the price is coming in at sixteen seventy nine. Compare that against the. Uh, the M1, the 14-inch M1 Pro, and it is not showing me RAM. it is showing me RAM. Here it is. So here's the so the the eight-core edge CPU, 16 gig RAM, five twelve gig SSD, coming in at two thousand two hundred forty nine. So what is that? A difference of six hundred. Yep. And that's an eight-core versus a fourteen-core. Sorry, go back there again. So that's an 8-core CPU versus a uh, 8-core CPU, 8-core GPU versus an 8-core a 14-core for an extra 600 hundred euro. I think that is a seller. And then 16-inch is a 10 and a 16, 16-gig 16 RAM, and it's 2.7. So, yeah, when you go for the 16-inch, you're, you're paying a lot more money for an extra 2 inches of a screen, basically, if you're looking at that there. like, But... Um, I thought they were going to be a lot, they are entry level, entry level wise, I thought they were going to be a lot, There are a 2.7 for the 16 is not a bad price for the 14 inch, 14 inch screen is a little bit small if, I, if I'm totally honest, if you're going to be doing editing on photos, like I have a 16 inch um, XP pen graphics tablet sitting in front of me here, as well as my 27 inch 4K monitor and you know, I wouldn't go any smaller than the 16 inch screen. If I was moving, I I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be budgeting myself around three grand, so I'm going to make I'm going to make that uh, as best possible. So if I maybe if I click in here, can I make that? Can I make that three? What's going to go? Can I go sixteen? Okay, hold on. So I go from sixteen gig RAM to thirty two. What does that bring me up to? That's bring me up to three thousand two hundred. Put in a one terabyte. Yeah, you're talking three and a half grand. Yep, yeah, that's what it is. Sandy's going to be expensive this year for me. Like I'm going to be totally honest, unless they bring out an M1 Pro iMac between now and next year, like when they say next year, like the start of next year, I'm more than likely going to be going for the for the MacBook Pro. Like I said, I think with the way my photography, the way I'm getting booked for jobs and stuff to get there, um, I think it makes more sense for me to be bringing a laptop with me and being tethered. And yeah, I just, this looks, this 16 inch MacBook Pro looks like it's going to be an absolute workhorse and I would get it specced up as much as I could to future proof myself for five years, four to five years. That's what I'm looking at. Max lasts a good long time. So you want to, you don't want to go entry if you can you want to push the, push that up as much as as much as much you can to last you as long as you can. Anyway, right, so we'll leave it at that there. So the next one we'll go on to is, of course, what everyone has been uh, wanting to see for a long time, and that is the upgrade from the A7 III to the A7 IV. So they have increased the megapixel count from 24 megapixels to 33 megapixels. They've also given a flip screen. They've also got rid of the useless exposure dial, exposure compensation dial on the right hand side. They've left it with no markings on it so you can customize it. So if I was to get that camera, the shutter dial would stay the same at the front, then you've got your aperture dial. And then at the back, at the top there, where it was the exposure compensation dial, which I've never used because I shoot manual, would now be my ISO dial, which means that at the back of the camera, where you have the D-pad, you also have a dial and that. That could be something else. So that could be something really cool. Now, I do actually have my camera sitting beside me so I can do an actual comparison just when I'm looking at uh, the buttons and all that there just to see it, what the differences are. They've moved the record button. The record button on the A7 III was in a terrible spot. And it's so terrible that I never used it. I just had it at the shutter press. If I was in video mode, I just press the shutter and it would record for me. Uh, one thing I do notice as well is the... The, the dial for the settings so when you go from manual to shutter priority aperture priority all M program modes you used to have to go through from you'd go from m for manual then you go through custom one custom two into video a bit of a pain what they've done now instead is they've put another dial underneath that similar to what fuji have done similar to what nikon have done and that's what you select. So you've got your options of a uh, photo, video, and SQ. SQ is where they do their slow mo's. I've never used it because you can do slow mo in the video section as well. But again, I'm not the biggest video guy, so I don't really do all that much. All that much. And um, one thing that was mentioned, and one of the best videos I've seen on the A7 IV was Terry Warfield. So if you want to check out his video on this. Um, a lot of guys cover uh, are, fo- a lot of guys are focusing on the video side of things, but not much on the photography. And I, I think it's because there's not much to be said. It's, 30, it's 33 megapixels. They've increased the, um, the performance of the uh, autofocus. They've, they've introduced animal eye autofocus for both photo and video. So you did have face recognition. So you had face tracking in the A7 III for animals. I don't know if you had eye. I don't remember actually ever tracking the eye of an animal. So obviously you had it for humans because you could switch it in, in the menus. It's buried in the menus. So I do I do reckon that if you find it in the menu, put it in the in your my section, you know, my my menu section. Um but they have done a thing that when you switch from photo to video, whatever settings you had. For photo don't affect video so at the minute currently if you're shooting a photo at one thousand of a second shutter speed with whatever whatever aperture and whatever iso them settings would transfer to video which makes absolutely no sense at all because you do not shoot video with that kind of shutter speed so it made no sense to me and i hated it because when for me using uh, fuji in the past i never had that that was never a thing if you went from photo to video the settings would always be if i was shooting at 25 frames a second it would keep the one fifty to a second, you know, one eight one eighty, one eighty degree rule on it. So my shutter speed would be right. So then when I go back to photo, it would just use the last settings I had for photos. Sony have now brought that in. It's about time. I don't know why they didn't have that in in the first place. But now they have that in. So now when you go between photo and video, your settings don't change. Because if you have, and this is such a stupid thing as well, if you were using the S-Log, so say you were using S-Log2 on video and you switched the photo, you do not have to go back into S-Log and turn it off, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with photos, especially if you're shooting RAW. So then your photos would preview gray scaled. As if you're shooting an S-Log, even though you're photographing photos. And when you bring the raw files into your computer, they display, fine. But it's such, if you've ever seen S-Log and you shot it, like it's its a complete distraction. It's as flat as a pancake. There's no contrast. There's no color. There's really nothing in it at all. So it's very hard to know where your, um, your exposure is. Uh, so it's a pain, especially if you don't have it set up. As a quick menu option in Sony, you really have to dive in and try and find the picture profile to turn it off. Uh, so that was one gripe I always had since moving to Sony was that. Um but another thing as well is they've brought in, and it seems they're going to be bringing it into all future Sony cameras, is when you turn the camera off, the shutters close, protecting your sensor because their sensors are magnets for dust. Magnets. Even even though they have the shutter closing now when it when it, it's powered off one of the reviews I watched had dust on the sensor because you could see it. I think it was I think it was Jason Vong's video and you could see it in the sky. There was this big, massive blob on the far left of the screen. I'm like, oh, even with the shutters down, it's still magnetizing all that dust. I don't know what it is. I've never come across it before. Like so much so if you watch my YouTube videos, you'll have seen, I actually went and learned how to actually wet clean a sensor I used to never do that I'd bring, a, I'd bring my camera into uh, Mahers and Drogheda, uh twice a year to get clean get them to clean it now I do it myself because I have to do it more often with the Sonys so bringing in that system where you turn the camera off it's an option in the menu as you set it up but bringing in that thing that when you power down the camera that the shutters close that is epic and it is well needed and it is well welcomed uh, so another thing as well is that I'm noticing just on the body wise just talking body wise here at the minute still and um, the thumb dial at the back, so I don't know what to call it, the the focus knob. It looks to be a bigger one than what was on the A7 III, more kind of what was on the A7 R4. I am hoping that they've continued on away from the A7 Trees so that you cannot find the focus points it's great. you can't find it on the screen I'm hoping that they kept on with the A7R4 that you could colour it orange and you can clearly see it on the screen because it's one of the things I, I still struggle to this day when I'm doing shoots that if I don't know where the focus points were before I looked onto the screen so if I forgot that I didn't have it say on the the top right one third lines you know you might not find it on the screen you have to move it around so it's annoying because you can't colour it you know you didn't have that issue with Fuji you didn't have that issue with Canon but you have that issue with with Sony so I'm hoping they've continued that they've got rid of the side doors for getting to all your um, connection points they had these floppy Rubbery plastic seal things that just dangle in the way. Now they have actually full doors that open, similar to what they have on the other side for the SD cards. They've given you a full. Um, I don't know if it's a full. Maybe it's just a mini HDMI connection. Uh, they have a micro one, which you know, uh, you know, you have to get an adapter for that. Uh, so the connections pretty much the same. Um, they seem to be laid out a little bit better than what was in the A7 III and then there's a bigger grip as well on the camera so people like Peter Lindgren are going to be happy with that because he always complained about the size of the grip on the A7 III even though when I watched his video he actually never mentioned it but there you go uh, but yeah there's a bigger grip so if you are someone with big massive hands not like me uh, I, if I was a boxer you'd call me needles for how small my hands are <laughs> so I've never had problems with any camera at all uh, I've, I've little I've, I've little miniature hands but I've been a drummer for 20 years I don't need big hands I just need 16 inch long drumsticks um so yeah so everything i've seen so far you know externally yes it's it's a big massive welcome then we go inside as well i'm happy the fact it is a 33 megapixel camera but i'm not opening that up to people saying yes i can now break into creative cropping creative cropping is a fancy way of saying i'm a lazy photographer and i don't care what you say to dispute that that is literally the case if you can't use your full Sensor to its potential by working on your composition, then you're just fooling yourself. So, learn the rules of composition from either the golden ratio with the Fibonacci spiral. Good luck to learning on that one. If you don't have the lines on the screen, well, when you do learn it, it's really it's a really handy one to use for commercial work. And uh, otherwise, stick to the rule of thirds. And I always do, I'm really strict when it comes to sticking to the rule of thirds and stuff. I get there. So, when I get a 33 megapixel camera, or if I got a 65 megapixel camera, I'm not buying it so I can crop in, unless I'm doing wildlife, where you're probably going to need to because you don't, you don't have a telescope or a lens to get to a rare bird or whatever that's very, very uh, timid, come near you. But other than that, if you're doing landscapes, you're doing portraits, there's no reason why you can't have the right lens and the right focal length to get the right composition. And then you have all of that real estate to use for Whatever you like, but for creative cropping, for 33 megapixel, I'm like, ah, come on, seriously. Uh, for me, uh, the 33 megapixel makes sure that when you print a uh, 3 foot by 2 foot or even up to 4 or 5 foot, it is going to print perfect. And that's where it really comes in handy. As well as that, if you're doing products for companies and stuff to get there, they can crop in because they're going to be using it for different banners and stuff to get there. So, you know, their needs are different to what photography needs are. So that's where they go past the rules of composition and stuff to get there. So in that regard, yes, for graphic design and all, it, it, you know, because it, it depends on what their uh, what their needs are for their advertising. If they're doing letterbox uh, banners, if they're doing skyscrapers down the side of um uh, down the side of a website, uh, so they are the needs of your of your clients for that. But other than that, there I I don't see the need to actually um do that creative cropping. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's my points on that. Uh, the what are what are our specs are we seeing seen here? They've still got the uh 10 FPS, which is good. In body stabilization, yep, still all good. Um, they've increased. The resolution in the screen, it's a flippy screen, it's touchscreen. They've made a, a huge, huge improvement on the menus. It looks as though as well, it looks very more intuitive and someone's actually put a bit of thinking into what goes where. Uh, so that's, that's a, another welcome. Uh, 4K 60p. Um, so for anyone in, in Ireland, you're going to be using 4K 50fps, not 60, because 60 is obviously... Uh, NTSC. We don't use NTSC here. We use PAL. So we're going to be using 50 FPS, which is might be a little bit confusing to anyone who watches a Peter Lingren video because he talks about 60 FPS, but then when you watch the videos, he, he shoots in 50. So that's the difference. He's not using NTSC. He's using PAL. And the problem with that 4K 60 is it's cropped. So it's cropped to Super 35, which has given you that 1.6 crop factor. Uh, so I think in that regards, You know what I mean? If you were going for video and you want it specifically for 4K60, I think you'd be better off buying a crop sensor lens, a crop sensor camera, because that's what you're basically getting with this. Full frame sensor that videos in crop sensor. Don't think I'd be overly happy with that. But everything else, yeah, looks really good. That S CineTone color mode looks amazing for people who may be a little bit more lazy like me when it comes to not using S-logs. Now, I've only seen it, you know, just, you know, just, I've only seen a couple of snippets uh, on videos, but it seems to be that it's a uh, nearly color-graded S-Log color mode, if, that's, if that makes sense. So there's not much, because there's a lot of work. If you use S-Log, there's a lot of work to get it looking right because it looks awful in the beginning because with S-Logs and all those log files are trying to get as much of the dynamic range out of the camera as possible, even though they're not full raw files. Um, that I see that these this is a 10 bit 422 as well. So, uh, for anyone who's in the video, you'll understand what that means. I don't fully understand what it means, I don't know what the 422 is. It sounds like a football formation, I know what 10 bit is. So, I can just imagine it's going to be comparable to the color rendition that you get off the A7S3. Again. I'm not even trying to pretend that I'm uh, I'm there for the video, there for the photography. The video is great, you know, because they do my YouTube videos and stuff. But I don't offer video to clients. Um, I much prefer doing photos, so I'm sticking as much as I can for as long as I can doing photography. But if this is offering similar to the A7S III, I would tell people to buy this quicker than the A7S III because the A7S III only has a 12 megapixel camera, so when you do photos, it's completely unusable. Whereas this here, if you had video lights and you're able to set up a product product shoot. You could shoot the products as a photo and shoot video at the same time. So there, you know, think about that there. That's you know, you do, you're doing double jobbing it. And that's what a well, that's what a hybrid is. So the A7S range, they're not hybrids, they're video cameras. The A7R range are not hybrids, they're photo cameras. The A7 range is a hybrid, and this truly is a, a hybrid. Everything that I'm seeing here, uh, from the videos, and again, like I said, Peter Linggren. Terry Warfield doing the best. Uh, Jason Vong as well. He was demonstrating the differences between the A seven III autofocus and the A seven IV autofocus. And I have to say that the A seven III is leaps and bounds above what Fuji XT three was given. And that and I had upgraded the XT three to have the same autofocus as the as the XT four. And what he showed in his video was the. A7 IV annihilated the a 73 in autofocus, so it's even leaps and bounds again, and it's coming in at, how much is it coming in again? It's uh, coming in at 2,000, 2,500, is it? Yeah, yeah, I, I have it here on DP Review, uh, $2,499, which will walk out a bit, probably about 2,600 Euro or something there, because our tax is terrible. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of, I think I've covered nearly everything I wanted to cover on this. Um, I have to say, that this is why I wanted to come on here and talk about these. All of these companies demonstrated that they listened. And that's so important, that they actually listen to what people have said. They've watched, they've obviously watched the reviews. You do wonder, like, you know what I mean, when they give a, a camera to Peter Lindgren or Terry Warfield or, you know, Gerald Undone. And these are all the people I watch regularly. Um, if you want to see specs and you want to see the, the, the true nitty gritty of the specs scientifically as, as best possible... Gerald Undone. If you want to see real practices for video and stuff I get there, I would say Peter Lindgren, Terry Warfield, um, Jason Vong. They're my favourites. These are all my favourites and I watch them all the time and I just you know and I, I and then Corridor crew now corridor crew obviously didn't top of this because there's no use for this but what they did with the DJI Ronin 4D absolutely epic Marquez Brownlee obviously then for the Eton Mac and yeah all of these companies have demonstrated that they do care and they are trying to push the boundaries out there um, to make our creative life as easy as possible. So that means that the only thing that limits us is not is no longer our tools. It's our imagination and that is so important when you're there at that point, like we are coming to a point where cameras are going to have that much dynamic range. We never have to speak of the words exposure blending ever again because the camera will be able to see the same dynamic range our eyes see and our eyes see about what, 20 20 stops of light? So when we get there, that's going to be an exciting time. But we're getting there close. A couple more years, I'd say. I'm going to say here right now, six years, and we'll have a camera that has, can see what our eyes see. Six years, and I mean perfectly. I don't mean like like ad hoc. I mean perfectly. And in that time as well, we'll be shooting video at nighttime and seeing the stars. So we'll be we'll have a high enough, clean enough ISO performance to shoot at 150th of a second and still see the stars. And that's a huge amount of dynamic range needed for that, for anyone who does know the maths behind that, just to give you for instance, when I'm shooting uh, the Milky Way, I'm usually shooting ISO 1600 or ISO 3200 at 20 seconds on a 20mm lens, so I now I want it to go down to 150th of a second also as well as that another reason why uh, people be talking about Sony's as well and um, I'm going to bring a video up about this as well is uh, you're going to hear like you know obviously the A7 IV, I haven't mentioned I mentioned it now it obviously has unbelievable uh, ISO performance Terry Warfield once again he has a separate video showing uh, night performances and some of the ISO numbers he was using were insane he was up to 10,000 there you would have seen the Roach Castle photo I did and I shot at ISO 10,000 these cameras are ISO invariant I'll explain what that is in a full YouTube video, but it just means the the long and the short is basically it doesn't matter what you shoot between ISO sixteen hundred and ISO ten thousand. When you bring the exposures to the same level, you'll get the exact you'll get the exact same amount of noise. So you know the ISO isn't actually working the way ISO is. It's just uh, the. I don't really know the rest of it, but I just know in practice, if you shoot a photo at ISO 1600, currently on the A7 III and any of the rest of Sony's, if you shoot an ISO 1600 and at 10,000 and you match the exposures, the noise is exactly the same. And that's not how ISO should work. And that's what an ISO invariant camera is. And these are ISO invariant cameras. So you're only going to see better and better performances as the years go on. So yeah, so that's all I wanted to talk about with the new gear that's been released this week. These companies have demonstrated highly that they have listened to the reviews because they give out these products to these reviewers and then if they don't pay attention to them, then what's the point in giving them out to reviewers in the first place? So they've definitely listened over the years, you know, moving the record button from the back of the A7 III, giving the shutters to close when it, when it uh, turns off, bringing in animal eye focus. Philip Bloom has quoted to say that he had suggested that to them and um, MacBook Pro, bringing back the ports, bringing back the SD cards, getting rid of that stupid touch dial swipey thing at the top of the keyboard, bringing in realistic and proper specs. And as well as I forgot to mention with the MacBook Pro, this is the first MacBook um, that has no Intel processing. They, that, like when I bought my laptop in 2003, my first one, it had an Intel processor. Even back then, they'd moved the Intel, hat had to. And now they've gone back to everything is built by Mac. Which is, you know, it can only say that it's going to be great. And thankfully, they didn't apply the Apple tax that they always do on products. They've left it pretty reasonable for the spec that you're getting. And then I think the king of all this week is the DJI Ronin 4D. Holy be Jesus, The spec on that, the intuitiveness on that. If other companies took note of the intuitiveness and just just the ergonomics of that camera, and just answering all the questions that everyone has when they have when they're looking at cameras. Like, if they just look at DJI, wow. Like, I would love DJI to make a photo camera just to see what they do. If they could do that with a cinema camera, what would they do with a photography camera? That'd be interesting. So, yeah, look, I hope you enjoyed this. Hope you got something from this. Let me know. I don't know. Do you do comments on podcasts? If not, let me know on Instagram. And if you think there's someone else who can benefit from my podcast, feel free to share and let them know. And more to come from here. They are gators.